I'm going to preach a sermon on a subject that I have never heard anyone else preaching on before. In fact, I've never heard that it has been preached on since the early church, when they would preach on the subject a lot. In fact, back in the early church with the church fathers, it was considered a very important part of Christianity. But it raised a lot of questions, and they weren't sure how to answer them. And so it kind of dropped out, and people stopped looking at those scriptures. So I'm not going to give you a cut-and-dried answer today, and so will the problems. But I am going to bring it to some conclusions. And so if I'm going to give us a goal today, there's a teaching in Scripture that's generally overlooked because it seems too dangerous. We'll point out the risks and try and take in the huge benefits. So you're probably getting really frustrated right now because you're thinking, what's he talking about? Like, come on, Andrew, tell us what this is about. I'm, I want to know. So you just have to wait for a minute while I give you my overview. I'm going to spend five minutes to introduce the topic and give you a visual illustration with a volunteer. And then I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about what we're not talking about, what the dangers are. Then for 15 minutes or so, we're going to look at scriptures and see what is, what's actually going on. And then I will end up by trying to formulate an answer and I'll demonstrate with our volunteer again. So that's the outline. So what am I talking about? There are many scriptures that suggest that when we become Christians, we ourselves somehow take in something of God. As I said, I believe the subject's dangerous if it's handled wrongly, but it's extremely powerful if we really understand what it means. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get Jane to come out now, and she's going to be my volunteer, and we're going to demonstrate what the conventional understanding of Christianity is, and how this we can describe this visually. So this is a backpack, so just put this on. Just put it over your shoulders. Uh, so this is, this is the, the image of somebody who's not a Christian, and they're, they're carrying this load of sin and guilt. And so when this person becomes a Christian, they, Jesus takes the, the guilt off them and gives them a robe of righteousness, a robe of righteousness, and then gives them um, uh, power to live a new life. That's a battery pack. And uh, a way of communicating with him. And also, let's see, let's have we do something else. Gives them um, a scroll of adoption. So they're adopted at his, as his child. So I'm going to give you a little adoption certificate here. There you go. <clears throat> so... There we go. So we have a Christian. She's, she can call up God when she needs him. She's adopted. She's got this new power in her. And she's wearing the robe of righteousness instead of the backpack. All right. So that is the, that's the model that we're going to start off with. And uh, I'm going to talk about when we'll bring, we'll bring her up at the end and we'll describe how this new model might be a little different. So... <clears throat> This is good as far as it goes. For what we did with Jane is good. Um, but there are many scriptures that suggest a lot more. The learning scriptures suggest that we take on some aspects of God himself when we become Christians. 
People have called this term deification. I'm going to avoid that term because I think it's confusing. Um, But first of all, I want to describe um, what we're not talking about. We're not talking about humans becoming gods. This was an idea in Greek mythology. You could become a god. Um, We're not talking about Mormon teaching that Jesus was just a man and he became God and so can we. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the New Age idea of sort of um, realize the God in us. You know, we've all got some divine in us and we've got to realize that and recognize that. We're not talking about that. And lastly, we're not talking about the Eastern Orthodox teaching, which is uh, mystical participation in sacraments in the church, experiences of light and climbing this ladder. of you. If you do these devotional practices rigorously, you do all these things, you'll gradually become become divinized. And this is a picture from the early church of what they would call this ladder, uh, uh, which is going up to heaven, and there's God at the top, and uh, they're climbing up the ladder. Some of them are falling off there, being pulled off by demons, but some of them are climbing up and they're doing their religious devotions and practices and getting up to heaven. We're not talking about that. That's not what this is about. It's called the ladder of divine ascent. So, now I've said what we're not talking about, I'm going to look at some scriptures. And today, we've got quite a few scriptures because I want it to be the scriptures that are speaking to you, because it's not me, it's it's the scriptures that are going to carry this message. So the first one is in John chapter 17 and verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, just a disclaimer, I'm not going to end up by explaining every single verse that I show you today uh, in, in complete detail. Um, so uh, let's carry on. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Hang on a minute. What are you saying here, John? Um, or actually, what are you saying here, Jesus? John says, quoting Jesus, that the, that we will be one even like the Trinity is one, that we will have the glory of the Trinity. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even though you loved me. Um, so it looks like there's some close connection here that Jesus is making between human beings and God. Now, I want you to remember that there's always a clear line between uh, created uh, uh, the God who's, who is uh, infinite and his creation, between man who's created and God. There's always a distinction between them. Um, but... Um, this verse is talking then about some aspect of God that we are being conveyed, given to us. Now we're going to look at two sets of verses. Some are about what's happening now within us as Christians, and some about what's going to happen in the future. So we're going to start off with the now, and one of the key verses that the church fathers would look at was this one in Second Peter. It says, by which he's granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may become partakers of the divine nature. 
Now, this is partly where in the early church things began to go wrong because some of them took this too far and began to say that they could become God and, and people got scared and kind of veered away from the whole, all of the scriptures. But it's saying that you can't get away from that statement. Um, this is, uh, we become partakers of the divine nature. Well, what does that mean? One of the people who has the most verses on this kind of topic is John. And if we look at John's writings, right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then, of course, in John chapter 3, we have being the image of being born from above, um, Born again, it's the, the, it's the spirit we're born through. Now, John develops this more in his epistles. And so we have the idea in 1 John 3, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. Now, you have to be clear, he is not saying that Christians don't sin. Um, he makes it very clear in other places in the same letter. He says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. Because we all sin. What he says is that it's something that we don't become stuck in ultimately because, or we don't, maybe a better way of putting it is say, we don't, we don't dis, uh, willingly choose to live that kind of lifestyle. It's something that isn't actually part of us. But the key thing I want to look at in here is the word seed. This is an idea that God's seed in us, his very life in us. Now, sometimes people have the idea of becoming a Christian is like turning over a new leaf, making a new start, you know, you're going to, things are going to be better now. But this isn't the imagery here. The image is that something of God, some life of God has now in us, and this new life is growing, and this is what we're living out of. Uh, in fact... It's more than that. He says, just like a child has got the DNA of their parents, and a child will naturally, you know, they'll, they'll have the appearance of their parents in many ways, and they may have some behaviors from their parents. Um, what he's saying is that because we have God's DNA, we will behave in a similar way. So he goes on to say, Whoever keeps the commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given. And then um, it says, let's look at the next verse. This is uh, chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So this is a key idea here that if you are born of God, if you're a Christian, you actually have God's life in you, which will, will show itself as love, because you love because your parent loves. So something fundamental has happened to your very essence, because you, this is, this is your, your life, life is behaving now in a new kind of way. So, uh, this is, this then is the reasoning that John has. This is how John describes it. It's about being born. And uh, although the idea of adoption is there in scriptures, actually a stronger image of what happens to us is that we are born of God. We actually have God's life within us. We have the divine life that's within us. 
So I'm saying this is a fine line. We're not God. We don't become God. We don't become like even many gods, but we have God's life within us because we're his children. So Paul's writings takes on a different aspect, but Paul has the same truth in his writings. Um, Oh, that's the last verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Um, Then, uh, so some of Paul's, here's some places where Paul talks about it in Colossians 2 and then later in 2 Corinthians. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this is Jesus. In Jesus, no, he's fully God. So all of the deity dwells within him. We don't have any trouble with this. We all agree with this, you know, basic teaching of the Trinity. But then he says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule on authority. Now, this takes on a new meaning when we understand that he's using the same word in the original, fullness in verse 9 and filled in verse 10. It's basically the same word that he's using. So what's going on here? Um, Jesus is fully God, but we've been filled with him. Now, this actually is a very helpful idea because the idea of being filled with God is different to us actually becoming divine. And so we can understand how we how these verses can be true and can talk about something radically different that's happened to us without saying we've overstepped this boundary from being created to being God. We're actually filled with God, but we're not God. So I think this is helpful. Um, and then we look at the Second Corinthians. And we, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what's this saying here? Well, this is transitioning us now from the present to the future. And glory is a useful idea because here it's describing, it's not that we're God, but we're shining with God's glory and we're transformed so that we're actually bearing his... Glory is another word for brightness, for for like a dazzling bright light. And we're carrying this light and we're shining with this light. So we don't become God but we're filled with him. And so this starts in the present but moves forward in the future. I'm going to go back to John now as we're moving and looking at the future. First John. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, then... uh, Moving on to chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So again, carrying on the same language that we were, we will have in our appearance the glory of God. Now we don't now. We've just got, you know, that we're made of dust and we, we, we don't, we're not shining, but we will become like Him. Uh, there are a number of passages that speak of being like Jesus, but 
This is particularly useful, this passage is particularly useful because it links us to the idea of being born again, of being born from above, and those two things come together. And why this is useful is because we're like Jesus because something has happened in our essence. We're like him not because we're just trying to copy him and, and read his word and trying to kind of follow what he says and do good things. We're like him because when we're born from above, a new essential thing has come inside us. <clears throat> There's another place Paul talks about this in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes Jesus' descent from glory down to earth to come and to, to save us. And as part of that, we're just going to read, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then I'm going to move on to chapter 321, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now I've, I've, Put form in red there because I want you to see it's the same word morphe that's used in the previous lines. And why is that significant? Because here there's a connection between Jesus coming from glory down to earth to take on a human body and us being transformed eventually to have the glory that he has in rever- in that reverse order. So, as you can see, I'm trying to work, to walk a fine line here because these verses seem to be saying too much. This is why they're not preached on, because people are scared of them, because they're afraid of the errors that came in right at the early church and different times since. Errors which have overstepped what it's saying and said, we become gods. And if you can see, I'm trying to argue that this is not what it's saying, but nevertheless, it is saying something. And it's saying something that is very powerful and something that, if it's true, radically changes who we are if we're a Christian. <clears throat> so let's look at another, finally, in the um, last verses I want to look at in First Corinthians 15. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. So it's talking about Adam. The second man is from heaven. It's talking about Jesus. As was the man of dust, Adam, so also are those who are of the dust, us. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, us when we are born again, when we become Christians. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we look like Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. We'll take on what Jesus, Jesus' glory. So these verses are powerful because they're talking about how this comes, what the source that it's from. So just give you an overview of where we're up to. I've, I've introduced the topic. Uh, I've talked about what we're not talking about. I've looked at scriptures, I've not timed it, but probably about 15 minutes, and we are now going to try and formulate an answer, and we're going to demonstrate with our volunteer again. 
So, formulating an answer. So, Jane, can you come out again? And we're going to see how this works. So let's get back to where we were. We're going to give you um, the power pack and the scroll and the telephone. And we're going to put Jesus' righteousness on you. All right, so this is the conventional view. And as I said, it's not that this is wrong. These these are good things that it's right. But I just don't think they do justice to what these texts are. Well, the first thing I want to do is to say that the problem is that... Um, it looks like she's been given Jesus' righteousness at a distance. This is not how the scriptures portray it. They say, and if you don't mind me taking on the role of Jesus in this, that we're united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And, it's, and as we're joined to him, he takes away sin and we have his righteousness because we're joined to him. So it's not an individual thing. It's just joined to him in that. But also, by the same token, we're not given separate power that somehow exists outside God. It's because we're living in him and we're joined to him, his power is flowing through, through us. We don't have a separate power pack. It's connection with him. Just like Jesus said, you're joined to the vine. And it's only when you're joined to the vine that you're getting power. So the phone, well, it's, it's not making long-distance phone calls. We actually have communion with him. And although we still pray, we're not denying that. It's There's a closeness about our communion with God. Um, and what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to... Adoption is still true, but I'm going to turn it over and write on the other side uh, a birth certificate. And on the birth certificate, guess who I'm going to put as the father? It's God. So she has a new birth certificate now, which defines who she is. So this is uh, what the new person is, joined to Christ with all of those benefits, with his power flowing through. Essentially, the same benefits as before, but connected to God because there's, there's something that's, that's new that's changed because you know who she is. So thank you. It's a round of applause for our volunteer. You can, you can go and sit down. You don't want your birth certificate? Yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, actually, can you come out again? There's one thing I forgot. There's one thing I forgot. I said that she was going to shine with glory. So um, I've got a really, really powerful bulb here. Um, so the idea is that somehow she would put this inside her. You can't actually swallow it, but let's imagine it's inside her. And it's plugged in, and this huge amount of light is actually lighting her up completely, like her skin is shining. She's actually glowing with the power of this light, which is actually God's glory that's in her. Okay, thank you. That's that's it. Um, all right, so, so I've got, in case you can't um, uh, like remember all of that, I've got um, I simplified it down to a much more simple analogy than, than what we just did then. I'm going to, to simplify it down to, just down to this. This is me. I'm this flashlight. And Inside me is God. I'm filled up with the fullness of God, which is this red lithium battery. So this is filled with God. And because I'm filled with God, because he's in me at my very core, then I have, I have his power shines in me and his strength uh, is shining out, his, his, his glory is shining out. Me. So that's, uh, those are some, some metaphors to try and help us grasp this. How are we going to put this into words? To summarize this, I want to say filled with God is a good scriptural way of 
pulling this together. We're filled with God. It's not that we have, you know, we've, we've got better access to God now or there's, um, you know, we're trying to copy God now. No, we're actually filled with God. And we, this, this because we are his children, because of who we are, we take on his character, not because we try and follow him, because of who we are. And then this develops to the point where our mortal bodies re- replaced with bodies like Jesus. Um, <clears throat> there's a there's a verse in uh, Daniel. Let me just see if I can find it. Here we are, Daniel 12, verse 3, that says, We will shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever. That we will shine like the brightness above, we will shine like the stars, it says. We Christians will shine like the stars. Um, one of the, the people who's been writing recently in this area, who's... Um, uh, I, I've read and I'll send out some links to some talks that he's given because I think they're very helpful. Um, somebody who's been really trying to, uh, to, to get Christians to understand the importance of this, a guy, a guy called Karl Moser, and he wrote, We will always remain creatures, but we are destined to become creatures so filled with God that his very glory radiates from us. I think that's a great summary. I'm going to read it again. We will always remain creatures, but we are destined to become creatures so filled with God that his very glory radiates from us. That's a really good expression of the future. What he doesn't say is that even now, God filling us enables a kind of life that is naturally flows from this new life that's within us. So, um, filled with God, taking on the character of God, people can see, particularly John stresses love, and love flowing out of it, um, uh, his, the, the, the fact that God is love flowing out of our, as our behavior with one another. Um, so, let's come back to the present now. Why does this matter? Why is this so important? Why should we take the risks of reading some scriptures, studying some scriptures which kind of look a little bit odd to us. Why should we do that? So I'm going to argue that it matters. It matters because we live out of our identities. Who we think we are will very much determine the way that we live. Uh, you, you, if you... If you discover that you're something, you, you, you've got some, something radically different about you, it changes the way you are. There have been studies that are done with children, and they do an experiment with children. Say, all the children with curly hair, they say, you know, you've got curly hair, and that actually makes you, makes you more intelligent. And, the, and of course, it doesn't. But they tell the children that, and what happens? The children do better in class because they've got, they've got an identity that they think that they're more intelligent. And so we tend to live out of what our identity is. It's very important to us. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is that it matters because the very life of God is in you, and your destiny is to shine like the sun, but even now you have his glory in you. And to understand what that means and to be... It's exciting. It's something that, that, that motivates us, encouraging us. But I want to say the most... The most important thing you can do this week is to keep reminding yourself of who you are. Now, what does that mean in practice? 
The Bible tells us that we have an old set of habits and behaviors, which it calls the flesh. It's our old way of living. And you're never going to change that. You're never going to reform that. You know, it's being selfish. It's being um, uh, immature. It's being rude. It's it's being downright evil at times. And that old practice is there, and you can't reform it. You have to choose not to live out of it and to say, that was me, but actually I don't have to live out of that. I have a new life that's in me. I have the life of God in me. I have the power of Jesus Christ in me. I can choose to live out of that. And any time you're faced with a choice in life, you can say, I can choose to live out of this new power that is within me. And so choosing to live out of this new identity is the most important takeaway that I have for you now. Understand your new identity and make a choice that that is how you're going to live. Because you do have the power. You do have it within you. You have God's power in you. You actually have the divine within you. You can't make the old better, but you can choose not to live out of it. Growing as a Christian is a process of more and more making this choice to live out of this life and not to live out of the other. Um, If you don't know that it's there, you can't make the choice. So that's why it's so important to have this teaching and have this understanding. But what happens if you don't have this life in you? What happens if you're not? If you're like uh, the flashlight that doesn't have the battery in it because you're not part of Jesus' kingdom? Well, Jesus says very, very explicitly, come to me that you may have life. Come to me that you may have life and life more abundantly. And that's how Jesus describes this. And he offers it. He says, you need to get this. You need to come to me. So what does that mean? I mean, if Jesus was alive physically now, we could just walk to him. But uh, he's not on this earth. What does it mean? Well, we can contact Jesus any time in prayer. By coming to him, it means just speaking to him in prayer and saying, Jesus, you said, come to me that you may have life and life more abundantly. I want this life. I want your life. I want your divine life within me. Please give it to me because I'm sick out of of living the way I am right now. I want your power within me. And he promises to give that to you. Ask him. Ask, he says, and you'll receive. And I want to talk next week about what, how this practically, I've given you a lot of the theory this week about what's going on. I want to talk more practically about how this applies and works out in our life.